Hey, we are um, we are taking a break, family, uh, from our our, our Exodus series uh, as we um, Ash Wednesday entered into the time of Lent, um, and, and uh, during that time uh, we we have an opportunity to to fast and pray. Uh, and build some uh, disciplines that hopefully we're already operating in. But if not, hopefully we'll begin to cultivate as we continue to prepare our hearts uh, for Easter. Um, and during that time, we thought, you know what, let's pause from Exodus and let's spend time really focusing in and preparing our hearts holistically as, as we talk about Jesus and, and do a series that can kind of help us in that journey. And so um, right now we're doing the nature of Jesus. Like, what, what is Jesus like? What, like, what is it like? You know, we, we, can, we can fabricate an understanding of who Christ is. Uh, we all want to do that in the flesh because it's way more convenient for us to create our own God versus worship the true God. Right. But that's why we all gather together. And that's the beauty of accountability and covenant community is that uh, we together can say, no, let's fight hard to reject those lies and fabricate a fake God. And let's worship our historic, awesome, real savior, Jesus. And in order to worship him authentically and in truth, we need to know who he is, uh, what he's about and what that means for us. So that's what we'll be doing uh, for the next six weeks. Uh, we'll be doing this series starting here, starting now in Matthew uh, chapter 21, as was read in our time together. So if you can uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, that'd be awesome. Uh, the movement of this uh, gospel, it's uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and what I would encourage you to do, if you don't know where it is, just go to the table of contents. Don't feel, hey, I do that too, and I get paid to do this. That's okay. Um, and look up the book of Matthew. The movement of this gospel is called uh, the gospel of Matthew. There's uh, four gospels in the Bible. Uh, this gospel, uh, these are all different, uh, different perspectives of, the, of, of many of the same accounts, some different and within the gospel, but they all are focusing on helping us understand uh, who Jesus is, who is Christ. Uh, and, and the movement of, go- of gospels in general are really a movement of discovery, Right. That the, the author, the writers would want you to actually continue to discover who he is uh, as it was written. Right. So so as as you continue to read, you will learn and, and you will be able to put more things in your spiritual toolbox on who the, the character of Christ as you continue are informed in your worship to God. Now, we as a covenant community, you know, we, that's why we're all here. If you are here and you don't really uh, believe in Christ or you're still trying to figure this out, we just want you to know the reason why we're talking so much about Jesus, the reason why we're going to be going through Matthew, the reason why we come here together is because we believe that Jesus Christ is our king, that he is, as I'll say many times, he is the lamb that was slain for our sin, that we are sinful and evil, that the Bible is about bad people and a good God. And instead of destroying us, what he did is what he dispensed his mercy upon us and is grace upon us and he saved all of us so that we could call him our savior and he could be our God and we could be his people that's what we that's what we believe and then we come here every week and we and we live life every day uh, reminding ourselves that we are not crazy as it were the world is the world is crazy to kind of continue to worship created things and to and to dive in and as revelation says to be an earth dweller to care and focus and think the earth is all that we have in essence, the Bible tells us it's not true that we are God's people and that we remind ourselves daily we are here to honor and worship Jesus Christ. And so as we read this text here, 
Our heart is a couple things. First, that we would, we would learn more about Jesus, that the gospel would be clearer for all of us. For those of you who know the gospel, that you would be encouraged even more about the good news that we have in Christ. And for those of us who don't know the gospel, we hope that you would be informed and you would learn more about Jesus today and that you would give your life to Christ and become a Christian. That's our heart. That's why we do this. That's our heart. So what I mean by discovery is that the author wants you to discover this Christ anew uh, as those did in the first century. Now, in the previous passage, uh, this is a famous passage. He reveals himself as king, uh, as he in the triumphal entry, coming to his people, not as a conqueror, but as a Messiah, a savior. We see that coming towards them for their benefit. And now we get to see in verses 12 through 17 where we, we affirm some, uh, some other things about, about this Jesus figure um, as we discuss what is he like. It starts in verse 12. Let me read. We'll jump right in. Powerful text. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And so many of us have read this passage before, right? So the question you got to ask yourself is what is going on here as we talk about, well, what is he like? What's the nature of Jesus? It's interesting in this passage, um, as he goes into this place and he sees these guys, you know, selling stuff, he quotes a couple Old Testament passages uh, to try to give us a clue as we talk about whenever we study the Bible. If he's quoting these Old Testament passages, it's for a reason. He wants us to understand something from uh, that pericope, from what's going on in that day to understand what he's meaning in the first century now. He quotes first uh, Isaiah 56 verse 7. Right? He says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now, there's, there's so much going on in this passage, so let me figure out how, I can, how to make this make sense. So he in John in John chapter two, this this happens twice, actually, guys. So in John chapter two, he cleanses the temple and in Matthew 21 here, he cleanses the temple. And these are two actually different instances. And so it's almost like bookends uh, to what he's trying to do in beginning his ministry, but also in the culmination of his ministry. Uh, Now, why is the temple important? Well, we talk about it, right? Why is the temple important here? You know, if you get a chance and you're a visitor, uh, Mac Average, you've seen this, but the temple is important because you think of everything he's doing here. This is, uh, this is a, uh, a reconstruction of a, a little small a tabernacle, right? And remember what we, just, we talked about before is that, you know, right here, you know, we don't have it on here now because we want you to be able to see into the Holy of, Hol- Holy of Holies. But when you think about it, uh, basically the holy place is usually covered. And we talked about the four different skins that covers it, Right? We talk about the linens, the white linens that are surrounding the place, you know, as we talk through Exodus. So it's very, it's very, very awesome that God's grace would even have us in Matthew 21, which is actually assuming that you know something about the temple, right? About how God wants us to worship. It's very interesting. So you guys should really get this. And visitors, you're on a moving train. 
but God hopefully will, will bless you as well. Um, you look here and you see he talks about the, you understand the linens around the temple courts and, and the altar. And, and one thing I try to make really clear is that, is that the, this whole tabernacle construction that God was doing, first and foremost, it was never, the goal was never for you and I to just think that he did this so that he could forgive sins. That wasn't the goal. Sadly, the goal also wasn't obviously for idol worship, which happened, right? That the, basically Israel, instead of realizing they were supposed to be a go-tell people, they became a come-see people, but they didn't, weren't even saying come-see Yahweh. They were saying, oh, look at us. They saw themselves as special because of their ethnicity, because of God choosing them by grace, but we kind of forgot that, which I think sometimes you and I do as well. Forgot about that. That wasn't the reason why God did all this. May I propose to you the reason, one of the main reasons, overarching reasons that God does this for the people of God. Remember, they were wandering. God had delivered them out of the hands of Egypt. They were wandering. They had been polytheistic, so they were worshiping all kind of guys. They're super worldly. And God takes them in the wilderness to take them through spiritual detox so that they can relearn how to worship the true and living God. And so this is all about God trying to help the people understand a very plain and very important Subject matter, and that is that God is holy. That God is holy, and that in his holiness, he, doesn't, he didn't destroy us, but God is saying, I'm holy and perfect and awesome, and guess what I'm going to do in my holiness? I'm still going to provide a meeting place between God and man. I'm going to provide a place between God and man so that God can experience my grace, and so, that God can, so that man can experience my grace and God can be exalted. Okay, so, so that's what's happening. That's, 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 that was the goal of this. So I want to propose that the text we just read is how things should be, right? That's how it should be, Isaiah chapter 56, 7, right? When you meet before God in this holy mountain, it should be a, house of, it should be a place of prayer, a place where you're, you're showing that you're dedicated to God and, and he's showing that he's faithful in his covenant and that we come before him with reverence and awe because he's holy and awesome and I can't believe he lets me come before him, but he does. And then we get to experience that grace. That's how it should be. But he quotes another verse in that same paragraph that we just read. It's, it's Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. Look what he says. So that's how it should be. Verse 8 says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house? You hear that, guys? You're going to go and, and serve other gods and worship other things and worship people and worship yourself and, and do all these things and, and be just fornicate and just do all of these things that model evil and then come in my house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, right? And go, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's what you're going to do? Only to go on doing all these abominations? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do all these things that don't even model and retell my story and then come in here and, and read your Bibles and praise and all this stuff? Look what he says. He says, verse 11, has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? See what he does there? He quotes a verse of how things are supposed to be. And in the same verse, he quotes 
how things are. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. This is how it was. He's like, man, you're going to come in here and, 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 and play the game, right? And then you're going to go out and do whatever you want to do. He said, y'all foul. That's what he's saying. <laughs> he said, I can't believe this. Y'all, this is, this is foul. I mean, he used the word den, den of robbers. He used the word den of robbers for, the, for the, the, the holy place where people are supposed to go worship God. Think about a den. I mean, that's like the place that you create for hot robbers to hide. Are you, and think about that. He gives that. That's the picture he gives for the place of holiness where people are supposed to seek God. Here's what's happening. Uh, what's the conclusions of these Old Testament allusions that we're seeing here as we're, as we're contemplating the, the character of God? He says, look, you're foul. Can't believe you're doing this. The temple in itself. Now, here's here. Let me let me try and process this. So first, he's trying to make it clear that he's angry at their hypocrisy, which seems to be obviously clear from the text. Right. But the temple is not just some simple. It's not just, um, you know, he's not just dealing with these guys who are selling things and these money lenders. That is not, it's not, that's not what's happening here. Actually, this temple is a manifestation. This temple uh, exhortation is actually a bigger manifestation of the corruption of the whole country. See, see, I think we miss it when we think, when we think that he's kind of going in like us and he's kind of mad that people selling stuff. And then he's like wrecking shop and making sure nobody sells nothing in the temple and then mission accomplished. That's not what he's doing. In fact, let me, let, me try to, let me try to process this a little more with the family. Uh, what Jesus is doing is he's judging the people, and in judging the people, he's declaring his deity in doing so. Now, let me explain to you. You say, well, how is he judging them? I mean, he just turned it over. He was, mad. he was mad at those guys, mad at all the... No, I, I want to propose that he's judging them for a couple of reasons. First, let me explain, and I, I think we've done this a lot in our local body, but I'll, but I'll say it again. Apocalyptic judgment in antiquity. We have to understand apocalyptic judgment in antiquity. Uh, a couple of things happen when, when, we, when we need to unpack judgment. Understand, how does judgment happen in the Bible? See, judgment came. Now, hear this. Don't miss this because you need to understand this to understand the passage. Judgment came just like how we do it. We all, I tell you, we always retell the story of Christ. Just how we do it. We, we kind of be patient with people. And then at some point, you're just like, forget it. Right? At some point, you're like, no, it's going down, right? You know, I want to propose why we do that is because I want to propose that's some of the communicable attributes we have of God, right? That just like our Father, whether, whether you are, you know, redeemed, but even if you have the common grace, you have that in you where you're like, okay, I'll give you a little rope to hang yourself, but at some point, we're going to have to deal with this, right? And so judgment came when there were continued opportunities for repentance. And that's the whole, that's what's actually going on in the Gospels. I want to propose there's apocalyptic tendencies all throughout the Gospel, which really show themselves when you get to parables. Parables in themselves are apocalyptic. What I mean by that is that when you read a parable or when you read language that is the word apocalyptic, meaning that it is um, a declaration, it is an ushering in to judgment, to end times, to you getting in trouble, as it were. Is God saying, I've, I've had it. And that in parables, so when you read a parable, they aren't, they're cool, right? And they're like, makes, that was fun. That was a deep parable, right? But you should be, when you read a parable, you should be like, whoa. Because when Jesus starts giving parables, what he's saying is, I don't even want you to get it anymore. I don't even want you to understand. I'm, I want the people who are really hungry to go, well, what did he mean by that? What, what, what did he mean by that? And for people who think they are that, to just walk off. I'm cool. Okay, be cool. 
That's what I want. I want the hungry people to get this because I'm tired of playing. So, and I want to propose to you that, that that's what's going on here because right after this passage, you're going to see our, many of our elders, we're going to talk about many other passages from Matthew 21 through 28. It's chock full of parables. You know why? Because he's like, I'm tired. I spent all these years healing folk, doing all this stuff, and y'all still clowning. Right? And so that's apocalyptic judgment in general. And so that's what's happening with John the Baptist. When John the Baptist is out, see, that's a thing. Think about it now. He is not in the middle of the city. In the, in, the, in the scriptures, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. You got to go find him. You don't just walk up on John the Baptist in the Bible. Right? Think about how, think, think of the picture. The picture there is of God saying, you know what? I'm going to provide a way. What happens with judgment, at some point, there is, he gives you grace, 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 and then there's a sense of judgment, and then now salvation only comes through judgment and repentance. It's like, no, you ain't going the other way now. We ain't going to let, we no, 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 no. So now people got to, you got to want it. So, so even when you go back to the Gospels and you see John the Baptist and you're reading that again, think about what's happening there. He's in the wilderness. People go to go up to him and they got in there making fun of him and he's weird. And he gives you every reason not to think that he's legit other than what he says and what he does. But if you just looked at him, you'd be like, this dude crazy. Eating bugs. Got, you know, got fur on, you know what I'm saying? Balling in a big old fur coat. What's going on with this dude? And so he gives you every reason to discount him. But the hungry people go, but listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's doing. Let me think about the scripture. Hungry people are like, whoa, I'm listening. And people who are tired of religion, they were like, whoa, whoa. I want good religion. I, I want to propose that's what's going on here. Jesus, this is, this is apocalyptic in nature. And I, I bring that up because, and here's, here's the next reason why, I, here's my other proof that I, I believe this is apocalyptic in nature. Because think about it, like, my, my tendency is to think he walks in, there's a table, he's mad, he turns it over, he goes and he's just walking around turning over stuff. Everybody, like, oh, Jesus, crazy, Jesus, crazy. So mean, so mean, you know. And, and like money everywhere. He's like, I told y'all, this is my daddy's house, you know, and all this stuff, right? <laughs> right, you know, and that's the picture I get. But think about it. Remember how we talk a lot about that, that time frame where you had, a, you, had a, uh, you had Rome running everything and they had like a little uh, pawn as a king who made sure, your role is to make sure things do not get out of hand here. You want to make sure of that. So remember we talked about that in Acts a lot? That, that man, when you saw like a lot of ruckus go on, what happened? You saw the centurion. You saw the, the guards come down. What's going on here? We don't cause drama. We keep, you know, Pax Romana, Roman peace. We keep peace here. We don't want no revolts. We want no drama. So I'm pretty confident that when he turned over the table, it happened. And it was kind of like you being in Shed 3 in Eastern Market. You know what I'm saying? And you turn the table over, and you know, you're in the corner of Eastern Market Shed 3. So you still got to go all the way down here, and you got the two areas down here, right? And so maybe some cats saw it in Shed 3 in this area, but I'm pretty confident that it wasn't like this crazy ruckus that everybody was like, whoa! Because the reason why I say that practically is because you don't see no instances of, of police, as it were, or centurions or guards coming over to handle business. Right, And that's not just me. Those are theologians saying that. I say that to say, I don't know how big the ruckus was, but I want to propose to you that G my point in that is not to determine how big the ruckus was. My point is to confirm to you that Jesus was doing something bigger just than turning over tables. His whole point was, I am judging the country. I am saying the people of Israel have lost their minds. Right? He's saying that this occurred and, and that he was closing the door on repentance, that he was saying, hey, you guys have hard hearts. 
that he saw their worship as external without heart. Right. And that he is simultaneously what he's doing. He's declaring his deity when he does this because he's saying, I have the authority to do this. And he's foreshadowing his judgment of those who are unholy. Not just I'm mad at y'all selling. He's like, no, do you understand? This is what's going this is going to be on this level and more one day in a Perusa. So, so I want to propose to you, we see here this issue of judgment. He's trying to awaken her conscience. Do you understand how empty you guys have become? So what do we do with that? And let's continue to go on. We're going to learn something a little more. That's just setting up what, what God is wanting us to get in this passage here. So we're like, okay, well, he's judging them. Man, he's kind of saying the whole country's messed up. Okay, look what happens in verse 14. It says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, it says the scriptures, right? It says, and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? This is what, the, this is what these guys said, the scribes and, the, and the, uh, uh, the, the individuals who are against them. And Jesus said to them, yes. <laughs> yes, I hear him. Sound good, doesn't it? Yeah, I love hearing truth, right? Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. Okay, so what's going on here, guys? How in the world, have you thought about it? How does this passage fit with what we just talked about? Because if, if we don't really pause to consider it, it just seems like, I mean, sometimes we can do that. We can read a passage, and we just see them as big, as a, you know, big, this is a book of Proverbs, right? Okay, so Jesus goes crazy here, then he heals somebody here, then he does something here, and we don't spend, maybe perhaps we don't spend time going, should they be connected? Did the author mean to do that? Was the author saying, I'm going to put, I want, I want people to see what's going on here. I'm proposing this absolutely is connected, families, and extremely important for us to understand, man, what Jesus is like. Who is the nature of Christ? Who is he? That this is very important. Can I say this? I want to propose it's a practical proof. What he's doing in this passage here in verses 14 through 17 is actually practically proving uh, the theological principle that he just presented in verses 12 and 13. Right. That he's basically saying, hey, I'm showing you the sense of I'm, I'm judging and your hearts and all this stuff. And he says, hey, you know, that's theology. That's theology. I'm not, the temple. I'm not, let me prove it to you. And scripture says he starts healing cats. Right. Let me prove it to you. And then what he does, he first says, I'm going to prove it to you, but I'm going to I'm going to reveal my, my divinity even more. And then watch how you act up. So Jesus, he reveals his identity, and that's what verse, um, that's, what, that's what Psalm 18, he's actually quoting in this passage, Psalm 18. I want you to spend time reading that Psalm and asking the Lord, where, where do I see the, the similarities? And you'll see the whole concept of him talking, the sense of, of Hosanna, the son of David, this whole concept of David um, comes out. And in Psalm 8, he quotes this whole uh, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes. He quotes that. So again, he's using these Old Testament allusions, and he, he quotes these things. And wait, hold on. I love this. Wait, he quotes it, right? But wait a minute. And the kids quote it, right? But see, that's, that's like, ha-ha, that's, that's a joke for Jesus. Like, there's kids quoting passages, and y'all don't even get it. You see what I'm saying? 
Now, what, what's his point here? His point is that I want to show you, hey, I'm the king of judgment. Yes, I'm the king of judgment. I have the authority to judge. I'm the king of judgment. But guess what? So you don't get it twisted. I'm also the king of mercy. I'm also the king of mercy. See, traditionally, guess what? The blind and the lame were not allowed into the inner court. Remember, we talked about that in Exodus, right? Of the temple to participate in the sacrificial system. They weren't allowed. But Jesus, as it were, does something. He kind of reconstructs in your Not where, but who is the temple? Who? Wait, let's talk about the temple. Let's reconstruct what you think the temple is. And what he does here, he heals them saying, my kingdom is made up of such of these. What's going on here? What are we learning about Jesus here? Let me, let me, let me try to paint the picture another way. Um, do me a favor. This, this, uh, could you put the, by any, you, maybe you, have, you might have to go back big time, but I just want to put those scripture verses 14 to 17 up and repaint the story. Here we do, okay. Let me just repaint the story for you, okay? Imagine this, Okay. So, so Jesus is, is, is like, you know, he's had a confrontation and all of a sudden the blind and the lame come to him in the temple. Okay. So think about that. So they come up to him, but they come up to him and he healed them. So the question you got to ask yourself, what's, why would the blind and lame come up to Jesus? That's a funny question. Why? (laughs) Right. And then it says, but when the chief priest and check this out. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, guess what? I love that the author wants to remind you he did wonderful. He did good stuff. Right. These are good things to do. Right. To go in a temple and say, hey, the temple is supposed to be holy. Remember, that's what God said. That's how he created it. And oh, it's a cool thing when someone can't walk and then they can because of your because of you. That's a good thing when someone who is blind see. So wonderful things happen, right? And the children start crying out and then recognizing the fact that those are wonderful things. So the kids go, wow, good stuff happened. I don't have my degree. I, don't, I didn't go to seminary, but I get it. When blind people can see, that's cool. Right? See what Jesus is trying to do here? Don't miss this when you understand the nature of God. And then he, what he does, he says, but then the educated folk, the folk who got the degrees, the adults, the leaders, right? It says, but they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what they are saying? I can't believe this, Jesus. I can't believe this. You coming in here and telling us to be holy and stuff. I can't believe you coming in here and telling us to, to, to act like God and, and to be like the Lord and to like worship God versus money. I can't believe you tell us to do all these wonderful things. I can't believe you, Jesus. You just messed up, man. I can't believe you would even want to see people who are hurting be healed. That's horrible, Jesus. Do you see the irony in that? Do you see the irony in that? Do you see the picture that, that the author wants to paint here? It says, they're like, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus is like, yeah. This, they're supposed to be saying, I'm, I'm doing what God does and I'm saying what God says. The question you should be asking is, how can he do what God does and say what God says? What's going on there? 
Huh. Right? He didn't heal him and then have him go do a massacre down the street. But the stuff he's doing reminds me of the character of Yahweh. It reminds me of who God is. Hmm. Maybe I should, right? And Jesus said to them, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? Have you prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city. He said, notice that? They dropped the mic moment, a little quote action. Boom. Walks off. Walks off. We don't know historically what happened in that, in, within those lines, but we know the author wants you and I to see that at that moment there was a prophetic judgment on those who are unholy and who are not desiring to be called to Jesus. Here's the point. It's simple, right? But let's worship. His point is the poor in spirit see God. That's his point. His point is to, to retell what he told them. Back in the beatitude, the poor in spirit see God. And the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom. The people who are hungering and thirsting see God. That actually the door is open to all. See, that's a, that's a cool thing, that the door is open to all. Now, you, see, see they, they, they almost had Jesus, right? You ever have someone typecast you because of their junk? You ever somebody do that? Because they got issues, they put it on you? See, they could have had Jesus here. They could have been like, oh, Jesus, you know, he did, yeah, that Jesus came in here and just, you know, it's, he flipped over everything and he, he was like mad and he was taking quoting stuff in the scriptures. And you know what? I would have received it, but it's the way he did it, you know. Right? And it could have been, they could, they could have played the old meat and Jesus mean, you know, card. He's so mean. So because of him being mean, I ain't got to listen to truth. But you know what Jesus did was cool is he set all that down when he showed, no, 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 I'm just not judging. Because in the same journey, I'm healing folk. I'm taking blind folks and I'm healing them. And I'm telling little babies, no, 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 don't, don't, the baby don't have to leave. Stay right here. And I'm, and I'm saying, no, no. So I'm showing you, no, no, no. It ain't that I mean it's you foul. Because I'm right here in the next sentence, I'm healing folk. And I mean, they dirtier than you. They look nasty. And I'm all up on them, hugging them and stuff and putting spit on them, doing all this stuff. Right? And I'm looking at the kids. I'm saying, quit making fun of those kids. These, are, these babies got created with value, purpose, and worth. No, you do not dog these kids. And he's hugging them. And can you imagine the picture there? And they're just looking at it like, man, I was going to play the mean Jesus role, but he's nicer than me. Where's my argument now? Where's my argument when God reveals his character? See, in his kingdom, he said, well, how do I know his kingdom, man? He acts like God. Why would I consider this as his kingdom? That's, his whole, that's the whole point of gospels. God gives you this deduction. Uh, kind of, he, he's doing deductive reasoning. What he wants you to do as you're sitting here right now, family, young people, older people, he just wants you to, he says, Hey, I'm going to tell you that I'm a God. I'm going to say that I'm God, and I, could, and I die on a cross for your sin. I'm going to do all that. I'm going to be very clear. Jesus is God. There's no other way for you and I to experience life apart from Jesus Christ. He makes that really clear. Because of our sin, and we're evil, and we need a good God to cleanse us so that we can experience uh, just knowing God's love and being in his grace. But then he says, I'm going to say those words, but then what I want to do is I'm just going to live, and I'm going to talk, 
and my life is going to reflect the things that God does, and my talk is going to reflect the things that God says, and now you have a conclusion to make. Am I God? That's the nature of Jesus. What is he like? What do we learn in this passage? Can you imagine? He's being really clear to everyone there. He says, you learn that I'm holy. That all this stuff that happened in the temple, he's going he's to reveal to them in a moment, even though we, we can talk about it now. I want to be faithful. They don't know all this yet, but we do, and I'm going to share it. We learn that, man, okay, in Jesus, he's our sacrifice. No more bulls and doves and all this stuff. One payment for sin. One shedding of innocent blood. He was murdered for you and me. Man, he is our sacrifice. He is our altar. That blows me away. I, I mean, I sit down and read the Bible I'm like, man, this is crazy. That Jesus can be the altar. He can be the sacrifice. And he's so good, he actually becomes the altar. He, he's like, I'm the place where you have to go and put me on. And I'm me. Crazy. And then he's like, I'm so good. I'm the sacrifice. I'm the thing you put the sacrifice on. And then the scripture says, and then basically I'm the priest who mediates the sacrifice to the father. He's the blood. And then he says, you know what? Let me just shut it all down. He tells them, destroy this temple. and I raise it in three days. He says, I'm the whole temple. Everything in it. This is quit playing. Right? It's beautiful. Beautiful. This is a passage for all of us. For those who of us who, who love God and God is in his grace allowed us to be saved by him. Man, we sit there, we should just be, oh, wow, the nature of Christ. He is holy. That he is holy. And that he's, he's just. We see it right there. He says, hey, there's the profane and then the holy. There's the common and the holy. I am holy. Recognize that I am other. I'm not like you. And, but guess what? And, and if you don't get that, you don't understand that I'm going to judge you because you are sinful, dirty, and jacked up, full of evil. But I love the fact that he doesn't leave us in despair. When you hear that, if you don't have Christ, you might be like, man, that really hurt. Calling me jacked up, calling me evil. That the Bible tells on you and says that your intent is to do evil all of the time, just like mine. But then, the beauty of this, in this passage, we get to see just a beautiful declaration, declare of his mercy. But even yet, what I do is I make my enemies my friends. And that's what God has done. That's why we meet. That's why we do discipleship. That's why we share our faith. That's why we, 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 we many of us in this room right now, we've forsaken the glories of this world and said, I could, job. I could be doing all this stuff, but I'm going to move in this community. We're going to neighbor well, and we're going to live life because of that reality. Because he gave his life for me, and I've climbed up, Romans 12 says, on the altar, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, Lord, do whatever you will with me. 
the nature of Christ. What is he like? He's a holy God who will judge sin. I'm closing that. The reality is this, guys. The Bible is clear that you and I, God created us out of, man, out of the abundance of love. We had the audacity to be our own gods. If you want to understand the gospel and you're new here, this is the gospel. This is what the good news is. We were created to worship God, to image God to one another, to remind him of himself when he sees us. And then we had the audacity to be our own gods. And we sinned against God. And the fellowship was broken, the Bible says. And what you see throughout the Bible is that continual framework of God showing us how evil and jacked up we are and our need for Christ. And what he does, as he reveals to us our evil, he does not destroy us. He continues to show and validate our evilness so that when the Messiah comes, there will be no debate. There will be no debate. There should be no debate in here of any person's need for a Savior. And then what he does, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be merciful and send you, my son. Because you can't pay for your own sin. And you know what? All these bulls and all that... They're not enough, but I'm going to send Jesus, who is a perfect representative. And Jesus dies on the cross, but then he doesn't stay dead. To validate himself as our king, he was the lamb that was slain, and then he rose on the third day to become the lion of Judah. That's the beauty. And then he's, he tells us we get to rise with him, and so then he gives us the faith to receive him, right, to become children of God, to, to be indwelt with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and to not live that life of missionality where we get to retell God's story and his goodness to the world. That's true life. That's what's exciting. That's why y'all are here this weekend, to retell the story of Christ. That's why we live and have our being. So if you are new here right now, we're just asking that you would please consider what he's like. There's many more we're going to talk about each week, but right now we're talking about his, how holy he is, how just he is, but how merciful he is. And sadly, we don't want anyone to be like those who said, I don't get it. But, we, but the prayer under my voice is I'm praying that everyone would be like the children and the lame and the blind and go, where, where is he? I need help. Where is he? Hosanna. There he is. That's our prayer. How do you do that, Eric? How, Pastor, how do you do that? Well, not jumping through hoops. The Bible says that what we do is we, when we, when we confess sin, God gives us that grace to say, Lord, I want to agree with you that I've tried to be my own king and you're king. And we, 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 we ask for forgiveness. The Lord gives us the grace to experience that forgiveness. We repent of our sin. God says we become his children. And then the work he started in us, for you to even be able to ask for repentance and to experience that forgiveness, he tells you he's continually completing it, making you more like him. We get to live a life of faith as a Christian. My prayer is that everyone would take Jesus up on that offer. Let's respond in worship as we continue in tithing offering, as we continue uh, taking of the, the awesome sacrament of communion. He's holy, just, and merciful. That's our Jesus.